Good morning. Everybody's had a good week and having a good weekend. Thank you, Evan, for sharing what you shared in First Light. I want to encourage you also next week, some of our dear friends serving in Uganda will be here. Uh, Damon and Jen Cup and their four children. They have been missionaries there now for three years, uh, working with Sufficiency of Scripture Ministries. And there's a lot of exciting things going on in Uganda. People are open to the gospel of Christ. And they have the privilege of traveling around the country and training pastors to rightly handle the word of God. They have an orphanage, which allows, as you know, Africa has been decimated by the AIDS epidemic. But they have started a, a school um, for, not an orphanage, a school for the purpose of allowing the children to still stay with family members and get an education. Um, and they are the local town ambulance service back into the main city. So come next week at 9.30 for First Light and hear about the ministry in Uganda. As we turn to Jude, as we talked last week, Jude was just going to write a letter to these saints and encouraging them in their common faith. But there was a problem that came to his attention And that was that there were certain people, verse 4, who've crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is concerned about false teachers. And he is here to sound a clarion call to this. And lest we think this is something that was just back then, 2,000 years ago, and we have arisen above that. Recently, a very historic First Baptist Church of Greenville, South Carolina, a church that's 180 years old, and it's one of the most um, foundational churches to the Southern Baptist Convention. It participated in the founding of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1845, and its pastor, William Johnson, became the SBC's first president. The church was largely responsible for the birth of Furman University, we all know Furman, and its old church house became the first home of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. What a great heritage. Few churches can match that type of heritage. In May, they came out with this statement. In all facets of the life and ministry of our church, including but not limited to membership, baptism, ordination, marriage, teaching, and committee-slash-organizational leadership, First Baptist Greenville will not discriminate based on sexual orientation or gender identity. That's just this May. How did this church get to this point? Probably 10 to 15 years ago, they began to take a slow slide in which they no longer held to the inerrancy of Scripture. They still said the Scripture was authoritative, but it wasn't without error. And slowly, once you unpin yourself 
from the authority, the real authority of Scripture. It's a slow slide down to the point where you're willing to ordain homosexuals as ministers. You're willing to marry, marry same-sex couples and the whole nine yards. So this whole thing of false teachers is very serious. And it's very relevant for us today. Let's look at our passage. We're going to look at just three verses. Jude, verses 5, 6, and 7. Jude says, now I want to remind you, talking to these saints who were there, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Jude lets us know he's going to write this letter and he's concerned and he calls these Christians to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith, to hold your ground for the faith once passed down. And he goes through now and he's going to explain the false prophet's destiny. That's what we're going to do today. Then he's going to talk about their disposition, which we're not going to do today. And he's going to talk about their, the description of their lives. So he's going to unpack it, but he starts with their destiny. He is blowing the trumpet to these believers saying, look out, this type of teaching will lead to destruction. And he gives us three examples that he's going to walk through from God's word. God's wrath is put on display today. What is God's wrath? It's real simple. It's God's righteous response to man's sin. That's what God's wrath is. His righteous response, his just response to man's sin. And he gives us three examples and he connects these examples to these false prophets and false followers of God. The first one is the Israelites who were delivered out of Egypt by the strong hand of God. And yet they would not believe and they died in the wilderness. The second example were or is the angels who used to be holy and before the very presence of God. And yet they did not guard that position of priority and they followed the chief angel, Lucifer, and left the glory of the one true God. And the third example are the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah and how they lived their life and what God did to them. Jude is making the point very clearly. These people who teach this will be judged by God. 
they will receive the wrath of God. And he gives us three examples that God left for us to say, God is not slow in his wrath and he will deal with this. First, let's look at unbelieving Israel in the wilderness. You'll remember that they, the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. And the heart of one of the pharaohs turned against them and he put them into slavery. And then God rose up Moses and he brought Moses to deal with Pharaoh. And as we've been going through the children's time in Sunday morning, we've been dealing with the different plagues that happened there. And God did an incredible thing for the Israelites. I want us to look at the blessings that they had received at the hand of God. First, they were blessed to have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their fathers. They had this incredible heritage of faith. They had a history of God's faithfulness as he had provided for them, even bringing them down to Egypt to provide food for them and for their, for their fathers. They were delivered by Moses and Aaron from Egypt after ten amazing plagues judged the Egyptians and displayed God's glory. They left Egypt in full possession of all Egypt's riches. They were miraculously delivered from the Egyptian army through the Red Sea. They were given God's law on Mount Sinai. And they received God's provision in the wilderness. They were God's chosen people. They were delivered from Egypt. And they got as far as Kadesh Barnea. They had complained and griped along the way. And they're standing at the very door, the threshold to the promised land that God had promised them. Let's turn our Bibles to Numbers chapter 14. With all those things going for them, with all the blessings of God, what should have been their response as they stood on the, the precipice of the promised land? And if you remember, they sent 10, they sent 12 spies into the land, right? And we remember the story that 10 came back saying, you know, this is a really scary place and these people are really big and we're not going to be able to defeat them and God's really just brought us here to destroy us. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can go in now and take this land for God. The people listened to the false, ten false prophets, if you will. And look at what happened to them. We'll start in verse 20 of chapter 14. Moses asked God to pardon them for their sin as they have rebelled and said they will not go in. They blamed God's goodness. They blamed his intentions for them. And the Lord says, I have pardoned according to your word. Verse 21 of chapter 14. But truly I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. You're not getting in. That's what he said. And none of those who despise me will see it. 
But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. In other words, it's time to go back into the wilderness. You're not going in the promised land. I have opened this up to you when all my goodness and you have rejected me, you have despised me, you've despised my word. It's time to head back toward the Red Sea where we came from. Until what? Every one of you is dead. Who is over the age of 20. Anyone over the age of 20 will die in the wilderness because of this. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I heard, gr- heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb and Joshua. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness." According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble, and notice that, made all the congregation grumble, against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up the bad report of the land died by plague right then before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. Wow. So here I am, a 25-year-old Israelite, and I'm in Egypt, and I've been moaning and groaning and begging God to deliver me. And God brings his mission, missionary Moses in, and he, with a strong hand and all these pl- plagues, brings us out. And we literally ramsack Egypt with all their possessions. We get to the Red Sea We start complaining there and God opens a way and we go through. And then he takes us to this incredible mountain where he descends upon it in fire and thunder and he gives us his law. And he's already been patient as we've complained about what we can have to drink and what we can have to eat. He's impatient with that and he brings us to the very edge of Kadesh, Barnea, and to the promised land. And I'm 25 And I've been taught about God and his faithfulness all these years. And the spies go off in the land, they come back, they give their report. And I sit there and I don't believe the goodness of God. I've choose to believe 
the slander against God by these ten false prophets. My decision leaves me outside the promised land. Never to go in. And as he said multiple times in this passage, my dead body finds its way in the wilderness. This is a very strong warning from Jude. If you follow these false prophets, if you listen to them, you will have the same fate as those at Kadesh Barnea. You will not enter God's rest. You will not enter God's salvation. Your body will be dead in the wilderness. Spurgeon says, if we have no real faith, we may appear to go a long way towards heaven, but we shall not enter the heavenly Canaan. Could you be here today and you're, you're doing all the things outwardly you're supposed to do. You're reading your Bible and you're praying and you're coming to church and you're checking all the right boxes, but you really don't believe that God's good and that he loves you and that he's worth following no matter where he sends you. Eventually, what will happen is your faith will be exposed for what it isn't. When they got to Kadesh Barnea, that was the trial. They had already shown they were unfaithful all along the way. Remember on Mount Sinai, they had, they had, they had complained to Aaron to build this golden calf and they worshiped this golden calf. But Kadesh Barnea was kind of showtime. It was the test. And even though they were part of this great congregation of of a chosen people, they made a decision that forever changed their destiny. So that is example one. Another Bible teacher says, Israel's apostasy stands as a warning to all those who think that an initial commitment secures their future destiny without ongoing obedience. Well, I trusted Jesus when I was 11. Are you following hard after Jesus now? Are you obeying his word? Are you seeking to make his name known? Are you fighting against sin? No, but I, I made that commitment and, and I know that I'm going to go to heaven. No, you don't. No, you don't. God summons his people to believe in his promises to the very end of their lives. Christians never get beyond the need to believe and trust. And all apostasy stems from a failure to trust in God's saving promises in Christ. Just as the wilderness generation disbelieved that God would truly bring them into the land of Canaan, thinking instead that he had maliciously doomed them to die in the wilderness. Who we listen to is important. What we believe is very important. Truth is very important, as we see in this First Baptist Church of Greenville. Now, a church that used to be a beacon of truth and the cradle of Southern Seminary is now a place that points people to hell. No longer is the gospel proclaimed. No longer is the truth proclaimed. 
but tolerance and, quote, love that make people feel comfortable in their sin is taking place there. Second example, we have the proud angels who followed Satan's lies and rebelled. Jude, verse 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. He goes back to these beings who were created before creation. And the rebellion that took place among them. And so here you are. You are created an angel. You're not even created a man or a woman. You're created an angel. And you're in the very presence of God. And we see in Isaiah 6 where they where these seraphim were flying and they had two wings to cover their eyes and, and, they were, and, they were, and they were serving and they were screaming out, holy, holy, holy. They were in the presence of the glorious one, the one who's always lived, always existed. What a position they were in. What a joy it must have been to be in God's presence every day and to behold his glory Psalm, Psalm 8 says they were, that they are higher than man. They're made higher than man. Yet, some of them listened to one of their fellow angels, the highest angel, a created one, not the one who's always existed, but the created one. And as he desired to become like the Most High God, he slandered God. And you, as an angel, listen to him and listen to his lies and decided you would follow Satan instead of God. Their position is secure. In this passage we read, they are kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. They're reserved for judgment. It's kind of like when you're cutting down wood in your property and you put it over here and you stack it in the barn. It's what? It's reserved for what? Fire. It's set for that. It's ready for that. Or you have a cow on your property and you're going you're gonna to butcher it and have it for, for food. It's reserved for what? That purpose. These angels who rebelled against God are reserved for that. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, 29. Jesus, when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. So nobody's going that way, but Jesus went that way. And behold, they cried, and listen to what they cried out. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before what? The time. These demons knew that there was going to be a time of torment down the road. And they knew who Jesus was. That he would be the one who would 
be the one bringing judgment upon them. What does it be like to know that for eternity you'll be out of the presence of God as an angel? That you'll be in gloomy darkness, that you're part of the, the kingdom of darkness. That you're literally reserved for the day of judgment. What a horrible decision that was made by them. Notice the free choice that's here. Notice it. Notice the people in Kadesh Barnea. They chose to rebel against the good promise God had for them. The angels chose to rebel against the Most High God. And look at the consequence of what they did. And then the third example, the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah who indulged in sexual immorality and unnatural desire. Those of us who keep up with the news know that there's been a kind of a website that promotes adultery and it got hacked. And 37 million email addresses kind of popped out. And all kinds of people in all kinds of places have been found out. Wow. As we think of Sodom and Gomorrah and the sexual immorality and the unnatural desire, we're there, aren't we? We're there in a culture in which it's just a matter of whatever's right, whatever feels good for me. Remember the false prophets that Jude is trying to deal with are people who basically said, it's okay, God's love covers over everything. You can just live the way you want to live. You can do whatever you want to do because you can be forgiven. Look at the blessings of the people of Sodom. We've seen the blessings. Number one, the blessing of living in such a fertile plain. Remember, that's why Lot went down there. He looked around and Abraham says, choose where you want to go. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and it was a very fertile land. So he moved down there. Secondly, they had great prosperity as a result of that. Tremendous prosperity. Three, they had the blessing of righteous Lot among them, begging them to stop their ungodly behavior. We see that in, in Genesis chapter 19. There was a godly man among them who called them to not live the way they were living. They had the blessing of Abraham. Remember, they were, they were defeated by five kings. And Abraham, because Lot had been captured, he, he, he strapped on the sword with his 300-something men. And they went off and they rescued not only Lot and his men, but he also rescued and set all these kings of Sodom and Gomorrah free. They were rescued by Abraham. Remember, Abraham wouldn't take anything from them. Remember that? He offered God a tenth of what he had received. The blessing of having Abraham intercede for them. Remember the story where the three men come to Abraham's tent? 
And he's asking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And what if there's 50 righteous men? Will you spare the city? And what if there's 40 righteous men? And what if there's 30? Okay, what about 10? Can I get 10? No, couldn't get 10. Praying, Abraham praying for Lot. Praying for that city. And we know the story in Genesis 19, don't we? The two angels went down to the city. They were going to spend the night in the public square. And Lot says, oh, no, we don't want to spend the night in the public square. That's not a good place to be spending the night. So they went to their house. And we remember that every man in the city showed up at Lot's house for the purpose of immorality. And the angels had to grab Lot, who was standing outside trying to bargain with these people, and pulled them back in the house and struck everyone with blindness. And they were still trying to get to the door, still trying to get in. And then remember they told Lot, get your family together, let's get out of here. And remember the men who were pledged to be married to the daughters? The scripture's clear, every man in the town was there So those men were also there that night, and they thought Lot was joking. And literally, the angels grab Lot by the hand, because he's not wanting to go, and they take him out of the city. And they run for the hills, and as the sun rises, fire and brimstone fall upon that city, and there's no one left. Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned at least eight to nine times in the scriptures as an example. This is what God's going to do to wicked people. Well, I look around and I just see everybody having their freedom and and everybody's free now to get married and now we're free to do this and we're just free to live together and we're just free to do all these things that the Bible says we shouldn't and the government is just supporting it and providing more opportunity for us. The message of of Jude is this. Listen to the scriptures. This will lead to destruction. This will lead to destruction. God takes sin so much more seriously than we do. Part of our problem in our battle with sin is we don't take it that seriously because we live in a culture that doesn't take it seriously. Using God's name in vain is not serious. Living in immorality is not serious. Lying and cheating and stealing and and all the things that are done is, is not serious. Because God just forgives everything. He's just so loving. He's not gonna get upset. He's never gonna really judge anybody. Really. Let's turn back to 2 Peter. Chapter 2. Four through ten. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, and if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world, Of the ungodly, everyone died there. And if 
by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. These are examples. Now, how many of you guys are really good at learning by example? Or learning by warning? We have all kinds of warnings out there, don't we? Now make sure you don't text while you're driving. Make sure you keep your eye on the road. You know, make sure you, know, you wash your hands before you eat. Make sure you don't do this. Make sure you don't do that. All kinds of warnings out there. How many times do we, have, do we get warned and we just ignore it? Until we pay a price. We crash our car because we were texting. Or we do something else because we were supposed to be doing that. In this situation with God's wrath, you must learn it by example. You must learn this by example. These warnings are in Scripture as a foghorn. Because once you die, the Bible says, after that, the judgment. There is no going back. There is no redo. You know, if you're in a situation where you you got robbed, well, if I had just done this and this and this and this and this, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, but but you didn't do this, 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 and this. And this is what happened. Well, I'd give anything to be able to do that again. I'd be, I wish I could live that last over. Or, or you're driving and you carelessly wreck your car or whatever the situation. Oh, if I just had done this and this and this, I wouldn't, or if I hadn't been in a hurry. Life gives you opportunity for redos. But in this one with God's wrath, there's only one shot. There is only one shot. And you either believe the scriptures and you believe that God is good and you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you run to him for salvation and you, and you seek as best you can by the grace of God to become what he wants you to become. Because whatever it is, you don't want to go here. You don't want to go there. Ephesians 2 He talks to the saints and says they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And he also says what? You were by nature children of what? Wrath. Like what? The rest. Because of the fall of Adam, everyone is a child of wrath. Unless God shows mercy. Do you realize you're here today because God showed you mercy? That you were a child of wrath like the rest. And he showed you mercy. Colossians 3 says, it says, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, 
lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Then he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. If it's coming because of sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, anger, malice, rage, filthy language, all those things, if it's coming for that, we need to do what? Get it off. Right? Remove it. By God's grace, by his power, fighting against sin because his wrath is coming. Now, I'm sure the angels felt their position was secure. I was created by God. I'm an angel in the light. What could possibly take me out of that? I'm sure the people of Israel, as they came out of Egypt with a shout and they went through the Red Sea, were like, wow, this is amazing. And they didn't realize their position. They have to guard their position. They have to walk by faith, by his grace. Now we know theologically he gives us faith to believe, but we have to walk it out. This passage is terrifying. People died in the wilderness because of their wrong choice. Angels will spend eternity in gloomy darkness because of their choice. Sodom and Gomorrah is no more because of their choice. And when you turn to Revelation 20 and you see the great throne judgment where he calls up all the dead and the books are opened and everyone's judged by what they did. And only those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be saved. It is an awesome and dreadful day. Shock and awe has no meaning like that day. To stand before the king of kings who shed his blood and you chose to reject. Now it's amazing when you talk to people about the Lord. Oh, I'm a Christian. I don't go to church and I do some stuff that's not right. But you know, when I pray, he, um, he will provide for me. That's called common grace. He does that for everyone. Wake up. That type of testimony is going to find you on the wrong side of the tracks. Jude is sending a clarion call to the people. As we watch what goes on in the Middle East, Islamic terrorists, they create new ways to, to kill their victims, whether it's beheading or whether it's burning them alive or whatever they're doing, I thought the other day, you know what? While you may rejoice that that person's burning alive, do you know what hell is? I mean, burning for a minute is unbelievable. Burning for 15 minutes is unbelievable. Burning for an hour or 24 hours would be unmentionable. Burning for a year would be unfathomable. Burning forever. You burn for 10,000 years, 100 million years, and guess what? You haven't scratched the surface yet. 
The scripture is clear. Sin is taken seriously by God. It is taken seriously. For us as we battle sin, do you take sin seriously? Or you just, or you just fall into it all the time? That's not that big a deal. Just ask God to forgive me. Forgive me, God. Jesus took it seriously. He took the weight of the sin of the world on him. He received the wrath of God. The Bible's clear. God's wrath is sure. The ungodly will not escape punishment. Notice that all these people in the three groups had a lot to be grateful for. But they weren't grateful. The angels weren't grateful. Israelites weren't grateful. Sodom and Gomorrah weren't grateful. And they continued to pursue what they knew was wickedness. The purpose of this message is to increase you and my hatred of sin. And to pursue holiness. Jesus died to make you holy. We take the Lord's table and we make this little statement. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, don't take the bread and the cup. That sounds harmless, doesn't it? It's not harmless. What it's saying is there's two groups of people, those who are in Christ and those who are not. If you can't take the Lord's table because you don't know Jesus, then the wrath of God still rests on you. And you need to run to Jesus. There's no more important decision in your life than what you do with Jesus. He is the only one who can deal with the wrath of God and has dealt with the wrath of God. All the decisions about who am I going to marry and where am I going to live and what kind of a job am I going to have, what kind of a house am I going to live in, what kind of clothes am I going to wear, all those decisions pale to the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? Don't be like the Israelites who felt like because they were in the company of the righteous or the angels because they were in the company of the Lord that they're good to go. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You only get one shot at this. Now we've talked in our church about God's security of the believer. The problem is though, nobody here knows 
you're elect. You don't grow, glow green if you're elect. So on one side, we're told the elect are secure. On the other side, we're told, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you have questions about your salvation, the elders would love to meet with you and help you with that. If you're really having a problem overcoming sin, we would love to come alongside and help you with that. We all need to be about becoming more like Christ. The takeaways from this we've already talked about. One other one is this. We need to know this book more than any book that we know. If you believe wrong doctrine about Jesus and what he's done, I don't care how sincere you are. You will not be saved. What you believe about this book, what you learn in this book, is absolutely vital to how you live this life and where you spend eternity. And unfortunately for many of us, it's just kind of a flippant approach. It's kind of like, you know, you have insurance, you throw the insurance papers in the, in the file cabinet, and all of a sudden the house burns down. Now you're going there trying to find those papers. Now what did it say I get? Now we're concerned about it. We're all going to have regrets in this life, brothers and sisters. We all have regrets. What we don't want to do is have a regret on the other side. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word that doesn't sugarcoat our sin, nor does it sugarcoat the wrath of God. Thank you for these clarion warnings by Jude about what happens to the ungodly. Oh, Father, we need your grace to hate sin the way you do, to fight the fight against the flesh. We need your grace to love Jesus the way we should. We need your grace to understand your word rightly. Father, may we pray with fervent hearts for our own soul first and then for those around us who don't know him. Father, I pray that your wrath would ignite us to take your word and your church and your mission to make disciples serious. And that we would get a voice to talk about the Lord Jesus with those who desperately need him. Father, I pray you would train and equip us for that. In Jesus' name, amen.